Um, our Sherman family is live with us today. Would you do me a favor and greet them and say thank you for being a part? Thank you so much for being a part. Victory Life is uh, not just uh, a single church in a single place. We're one church spread out over many communities and cities. Uh, one church, one faith, um, all committed to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, committed to transformation in Jesus. And uh, we believe at Victory Life that the power is not in the messenger and not in the method, but in the word, the message. And so you might be a part of our Sherman campus or our global community and um, you recognize, hey, this is a video. Uh, and we just want you to know we recognize that as well. Um, but again, we are one church and we're in a series where we're talking about Jesus over everything. And as a united church, I want you to open your hearts to receive the word. Uh, and so as a church, we want to emphasize Jesus, not a person, a, a preacher, a messenger, or a method. Method is only here to deliver the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And so please open your hearts to receive uh, what God would have you receive in the word of God today. Well, if you would go to Colossians 4. We're going to be in Colossians 4 the whole time today. I'm in a series entitled Jesus Over Everything, and it's because I mean it. <laughs> it's because it's true. Jesus really is over everything, and we're examining this idea, this truth, this reality through the small New Testament letter of Colossians. It's only 95 verses, four chapters, um, but it's power-packed with, um, with who Jesus is, understanding who he is, understanding what his mission is, and then understanding us and what the mission of the church is today. We, we've talked through, uh, this is the fourth week on this, and um, as a part of this series, we began with understanding Jesus being supreme from Colossians 1.18. Jesus is preeminent or supreme over everything, the, that there's nothing that comes over Jesus. Jesus truly is supreme over everything. And then from that supremacy, he is sufficient. So he's not just supreme, he's sufficient, meaning that all that we need is found in Jesus. All of our particular needs flow from Jesus, that it's not just Jesus and nothing else, it's Jesus and then everything else. There's not a Jesus and fill in the blank that you need. You need Jesus and everything flows through Jesus and in your relationship with Jesus. Well, well then what does that mean for us? Are these just ideas in our heads? Are these just principles that we understand with the mind? What does it mean for our life? And I've taken the last couple weeks, and we'll keep digging into these two main ideas from this idea. Okay, Jesus is over everything. What does that mean? It means that we live under Jesus as the Supreme Lord, that he's not just in charge of the universe, he's in charge of us. He's in charge of you. He's in charge of every facet of our lives. And so we live under his lordship. And then building on that, we don't just worship him as Lord, we also, or we, we don't just live under him as Lord, we worship him as Lord. He's not some cold-hearted tyrant that we live under afraid or out of obligation or out of religious duty. We worship him because of who he is and what he's done. And what he has done and who he is is completely and wholly worthy of our worship. And that's, today I wanna dig more into that. Last week, in digging more into this worship idea, 
We talked about prayer, and from Colossians 1, 9 to 14, Paul's short little prayer shows so much about how we are connected to God in his work, that prayer is not just uh, some duty, it's not just some obligation, it's not just some spiritual activity before the real work, but that prayer is the work, and everything flows through prayer, because everything flows through Jesus We want to nurture a relationship with Jesus, and prayer is the primary way we do that. And so last week we talked through that the Christian life begins with or originates in and then is sustained by prayer. You're not going to make it through the hardships of life or the challenges of our day and not have a healthy prayer life. That's what Paul's emphasizing to us. And I don't just mean that the beginning of your Christian faith begins in prayer, It does. I want you to pray and surrender your life to Jesus. But everything else in our life we need to see is beginning in prayer. And I don't mean that in any kind of condemning way. I don't mean that to try to lay another heavy burden on your life. Um, That I get that we're busy and 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 we get active and we're like, man, I I don't know, I don't know, I I I feel bad. I get condemned that I, I don't pray enough, or I don't know how to pray, or I don't know what to pray for. And I hope that what I said last week and then what I'll say this week encourage you that it actually is simpler than you think. But what's most important to me is that you recognize it as a priority because in my own life, what I've recognized when I was too busy to pray, I'm believing a lie. The lie is I have to perform. I have to get the work done. I have to do everything. And if I can just fit God in, then bonus points for me. And that's a lie. Everything begins in prayer. And the more you recognize that, and then not just recognize it, but actually start experiencing it, you'll recognize that the work really is prayer. It engages God in the work. And then when you can start seeing that, you'll realize you're, you're, you're too busy not to pray. And, and again, that in no way is that in any kind of condemning way, especially when you go, what do I pray for? We're going to dig a lot deeper into that because it, it is pretty simple. And if I could get you to do anything else, just take Colossians 1, 9 to 14, pray that. You don't know what to pray for? Pray that. It's a really incredible prayer. And we talked about that last week. But to build on that, where I ended last week was Colossians 4, in that Paul isn't just saying that he prays for the Colossian church. He doesn't just instruct them how to pray. He actually encourages them, now you get to work in prayer. You pray. And this is for everyone. This isn't just for the spiritually elite. This isn't for the particularly charismatic or articulate. Everybody can pray. If you learn some small steps, you'll you'll recognize that you can pray too. And it's part of the reason why I encourage people to pray the word is because you don't know how to pray. We don't have the right words to pray. So why don't we pray the word and let the word teach us the language of prayer, teach us how to pray. And that's my encouragement, but it's also my my challenge for you today. We're going to talk just about five verses today. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. I'm going to read it all, and then we'll just slowly talk through it and show you how important prayer is and what it means for our life, but also for our witness that what it, it's not just for us and it's not just about us. This is something bigger than us. It's something bigger. The church be, it does not exist for itself. We exist for the world. And I want to show you how that works together. So we're going to look at this, these five verses. I'm going to read them all and then we'll talk through them. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I want to really drill into the idea of worship and how prayer and worship are connected. And they're sometimes the same thing and sometimes different. We sometimes, uh, if you're very highly churched, uh, worship, we tend to think of worship as the slow songs before the message. (laughs) Praise is the fast songs and worship is the slow songs. Uh, And worship is that thing that we kind of do before the real stuff. And though I would not exclude slow songs in church gatherings as worship, it's certainly not summed up in that. Worship is much bigger. It should be a life we live. Worship, the way I would just kind of quickly define it, is reverential devotion. Reverential devotion, that we have a devotion to Jesus, and it's not an obligation to us. We don't do it out of fear. Some people are devoted to tyrants because they're afraid. <laughs> we don't do it as, uh, as a way to grasp for power, that we're not devoted to Jesus because we get something for it. That's where reverential comes in. A reverential is about um, respect, but it's also about adoration or awe, that we're just amazed by Jesus. It was, a, it was an important part of my life and development is being grown up in church, uh, growing up in a great church, this church, uh, it wasn't hard for me to take things for granted because it was such a good church. And uh, it, w- it wasn't hard um, to just ingest all of this information and scripture, being very familiar with scripture from a young age, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to take all that for granted or just to become kind of head knowledge. And I just remember a very important part of my life where I was really growing in my understanding of Jesus and uh, I recognized that I was tempted towards letting that just be in my head, just something I understand. And, and I just remember praying, Lord, never let me lose my sense of wonder. That I'm just in wonder at who you are and what you've done. When we lose our sense of wonder, we lose our worship. That what Jesus has done and who he is, is absolutely incredible. And he, and he is so eternal that we never mind the depths of the beauty and majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so worship is this reverential devotion that because of who he is and because of how I'm recognizing who he is and what he's done, because of this, I am devoted to him. I want to surrender my life to him. I want to give him everything, even when my flesh doesn't want to. Because there's lots of things I don't want to do. Does that make me a bad person? There's just there's tons of stuff I don't want to do. Uh, and I recognize that that is my flesh. That's not who I am. And because I have a superior devotion to Jesus rather than my comforts, I should be able to sacrifice comforts for Jesus. And a lot of people, you don't know where your real allegiance lies. 
as long as Jesus is helpful to you, you have an allegiance to your comfort. But as soon as Jesus makes you uncomfortable, well, I don't want to be religious or anything. (laughs) You know, the longer you've been a Christian, the better you are at excuses. So worship is about orienting the entirety of our lives around someone. Everything. He is the center of everything. This is outworking from him being supreme and sufficient is that we orient our entire life around him. We don't just, we don't just live under his lordship. We live in relationship with him. That's the unique thing about the Christian faith is we're not just obligated to a set of practices, rituals, or rules. We're, we're devoted to a person, a person that is real and really with us. Even when we can't feel it or see it, he really is with us. And so worship is not the warm-up act to everything else or the warm-up act to the real thing, the message. Worship should be the beating heart of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It, should, it, it, it is the way we bend our life toward is worship of Jesus. And so the Christian life is, doesn't just begin with and is sustained by prayer. Prayer fuels our worship. This is why we commit to a healthy prayer life is because we want to live completely devoted in reverence and awe and worship to the Lord Jesus. And so here we see how do we do that? Colossians chapter two, again, verse two, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Steadfastly being watchful in your steadfast prayer, and to do it with a heart of thanksgiving. Everyone is invited to this work. Again, this is not just for the particularly religious class (laughs) or the the straight-A students of the Christian faith. He's talking to everyday average Christians, which again is approximately about 20 people in a town past its prime. And he says, you, where you're at in nowhere, this little group, you, you continue steadfast in prayer. You commit your lives to this kind of worship and prayer. The work of prayer is for everyone. And he uses steadfastly, not sporadically. Doesn't even use the word spontaneous. So there's something he's encouraging us, not just in the practice of prayer, but understanding who we are and who we're called to be and how that practice brings that out. And so I want to show you two things of how he's calling the church to be in the world. And the first one here is to be a worshiping church, be a church of prayer, be a church of worship. Again, not, not necessarily uh, long, slow songs, You know, we need to be a church of prayer, which means we just need to bathe in the presence of God in corporate worship. Would I want you to do that? Absolutely. Do I want you to do that in your private life? There first. Start there. Don't offload a personal responsibility onto the corporate gathering. But are there moments for that? Absolutely. But the instruction to be a worshiping church is not to spend longer in slow songs. Being a worshiping church is that the church, individually 
and corporately are completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. Devoted in every way and in every facet, corporately and individually. Do you understand the dual nature of that? That it's not just about you, but you are included. So you as an individual and we as a corporate entity. That we collectively can do more than you individually. But you individually make up part of a collective whole. And it's both and. It's not either or. And so you need to be a person who is a worshiping person, a worshiper. You are called to be a worshiper, but you also belong to a larger body. And that body is collectively, corporately to be oriented around Jesus. And again, not just even in one place. Our church is multiple places, multiple congregations making up one church. And so we collectively all together are called to be a worshiping church, and that is a devotion. It is being steadfast. Again, it's not that you can't be spontaneous. He's not ruling out spontaneity. Um, But I will tell you from a person who's wired like me, spontaneous is dangerous. <laughs> it's suffice it to say, I'm just not a very spontaneous person. Uh, and I value people who can just be spontaneous. On a whim, do something crazy. To me, you are crazy if that's how you're wired. But like, I, I need you in my life because people like me can be incredibly predictable and disciplined. Uh, and we need each other in our lives. Okay, can you just commit? Can we commit to each other in that? But the idea of being steadfast means that we are not allowed to make the excuse that we're too busy or the excuse, well, I just don't feel like it. It's so funny dealing with well-meaning, well-intended, Jesus-loving Christians who are still so controlled by feeling. Controlled by feeling means I'm not feeling it, and if I'm not feeling it, then it's not authentic. Stop. That's a bad excuse. Because here's the deal. Your feelings are not in control. You can actually tell your feelings what to do. You can have feelings and experience feelings, but you and I are not to be controlled or oriented around our feelings. And so even this idea steadfast is built on um, part of an ancient Jewish practice is to have certain times a day that they prayed. You can even see this in the book of Acts that the apostles engaged in. Numerous times in the book of Acts, it says at the hour of prayer. Is that to say that the entirety of your prayer life can only happen in those set hours? No. But those set hours build in a practice that give you a higher capacity for spontaneity. And I say, this was a fundamental change in my prayer life. And I'm not, I'm not offloading this onto you. I'm not obligating you to this. I am saying that I saw a discipline in scripture. And as I wanted to orient my life around Jesus, I adopted that practice and spent time working on it of setting times a day where I have a reminder that I'm going to pray at this time, whether I want to or not. And it's funny that because my heart is to be reverentially devoted to Jesus, eventually my feelings followed. And so now there's multiple times a day where I know it's time to pray. And you say, well, what do I pray about? 
Well, you pray the word. If you don't know what to pray, pray the word. Just because you don't have the words doesn't mean you can't pray steadfastly. For me, it was learning to commit prayers to memory, scriptures to memory, and I just pray that. And it did make a fundamental difference in orienting my day around Jesus, not just ending the day feeling condemned like, did I, did I even pray today? And I know that that's a real feeling that many people have, but the commitment is to be steadfast, to be devoted in prayer. N.T. Wright's New Testament translation called the Kingdom New Testament translated it that way. Devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. Paul the apostle found prayer so important that he said it's worthy of us devoting ourselves to it. He wouldn't do that if it was a pointless spiritual activity. Which means he sees prayer as something fundamental to our worship and to our orientation around who Jesus is. Undoubtedly, Paul committed himself to multiple times a day. It's called praying the hours or at the hour of prayer. Multiple times a day, he would pray, and then that built the structure to then be able to pray spontaneously at any point in time. You see Jesus going off to pray, and then occasionally it just says, and he busted out in thanksgiving to, Jesus, to, the, to the Father, and he just starts praying spontaneously. But just because you and I aren't wired towards spontaneity, now if you're wired towards spontaneity, more power to you. I do encourage you to get some discipline in your life, though. But the discipline isn't just the activity of prayer because of what he says next. Be watchful in it. Being watchful in prayer. Having your eyes open and paying attention in prayer. Because what I showed you last week in Colossians 1.9, Paul says, I am praying that you be filled with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God has an opinion he has a perspective. He has an opinion about what's going on in our world. He has a perspective about current events. He has a desire for you. Do you know what it is? Paul says you can pray to have access to it. But our steadfastness, our devotion in prayer is supposed to, have, is supposed to encourage us to have an eye open to see God's will to see God at work, to not just go through the ritual of prayer, but to have eyes open to see that God is at work. And you have to be able to see it because God can often be so annoyingly subtle that it's easy to miss. And prayer tunes us to a higher reality, the kingdom of God. That is a higher and superior reality to what we see in the natural and if we don't have eyes to see it, we'll go about controlled by current events, controlled by news cycles. And the encouragement is to be devoted and steadfast in prayer and that keep your eyes open, be watchful in it. Because being watchful without being prayerful will make you cynical. There's so many of us, we are devoted to the news cycle. We orient our lives around the latest reports, 24-hour news networks. 24-hour <laughs> news networks, you need to know that they, they are not in the category of journalism. They are in the category of entertainment, and it's poor. 
It makes us watchful. There's many of us that are very watchful in YouTube videos, social commentary through your favorite YouTuber, or just entertainment in general. And so being watchful without being prayerful, you are only looking at what your eyes can see and what your eyes will see is all bad. Good news doesn't sell. So they're not going to report it. If they have to, they'll throw it in there kind of occasionally. They're trying to get you addicted. It's clickbait. And not just news. That's not just like people who are in news. It's people who are really addicted to YouTube as well. Something like 70% of all web traffic globally is through one website, YouTube. That tells you what people are devoted to. So we're encouraged to be watchful in our prayers to see God at work with a heart postured towards thanksgiving. How often do you watch news, entertainment, or YouTube, and you end however much you're binging and go, man, I'm just so thankful. (laughs) Just help you. Never. (laughs) So I'm all for watching the news, but let me just challenge you to balance the amount of time you watch news or watch YouTube or anything you do in that realm, put equal amount of time in prayer with a little nudge on the prayer. Because most of you are tithing your time to entertainment or to news. A tithe of your time is like two hours and 20 something minutes. So anything you do, one thing you do that's two hours and 20-something minutes is a tithe of your time. You're tithing your life, not your money, to voted to something. What is it? I mean, the average adult engages in some form of media five hours a day. You're doubling your tithe of your time to things that are, let's just say, we're, they're probably not pointing you to Jesus. So what if you could devote yourself to about two and a half hours of some type of engagement with God? You say, well, I don't have time to that. Apparently, most adults have time for five hours worth of something. That's why I tell you, our priorities are off. So we are to be thankful, our heart postured in thanksgiving. And in that thanksgiving, now we are in a position to pray with power. And so he builds on this idea of you're a worshiping church, a prayerful church. Now, here's what I want you to do about it. And he goes in the next two verses, verse three and verse four, where he says, this is what I want you to pray for. So if you say, I I don't know what to pray for. Well, here you go. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So let me give you the first thing. What do you pray for? If, you're, if we're a church that is a worshiping church, a praying church, what do we pray for? The first, an open door. We pray for open doors. And that's not just you praying for me. That's you praying for you. That's you praying for each other. Praying for an open door. That our witness, our our worship to the Lord Jesus and our witness in the world is not supposed to bulldoze people. 
We want to pray for open doors, which is why you have to be watchful. In your prayer, you have to be watchful because there's tons of doors that are opening, but they're just slightly cracked and it's easy to miss. But it's God opening a door. And apparently Paul thought that asking these 20 people hundreds of miles away, potentially, that he felt that their prayers would be powerful enough for him to recognize open doors. So we pray for open doors. We pray for our eyes to be open, to be watchful in looking for open doors in people's lives. For what? For you to convince them of your particular politic? For the word. Which is why we need to be familiar with the word. We need to be people of the word because the, when we get an open door, the only wise stewardship of open doors in our life is for the word of God, which is why you and I are called to be a worshiping church that we hide his word in our heart so that when an open door is open before us, we have something to give. You can't give what you don't have. We want the word of God in our heart so that when we see an open door, we can sow the word of God. And then the second thing is pray for clear words. Paul, Paul is trying to reveal a great mystery and he doesn't want to mess it up. Have you ever been there? You know, you can pray for that. A lot of times we use our lack of understanding or our lack of eloquence as an excuse to not witness. We'll offload that on YouTube clips that we'll share with them. I'm not saying don't share YouTube clips that are pointing people to Jesus. But you have a responsibility to your world. And if, you, if, you, if you're praying for the knowledge of God's will, that means every single facet of your life is a potential open door for the word of God. Every client you meet with, every customer you engage with, every coworker that you're around, the route you take to work is potential open doors for the word. And you and I need to be prepared with clear words so that when we talk about Jesus, we actually are being clear about it, not just fumbling over our words. And apparently you can pray for that. Peter in 1 Peter 3.15 says something like this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. There's that worship again. And from that worship... What do we, how do we live in front of people? If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. A question is an open door. Do we have eyes to see those questions? And again, we're not just trying to plow over people with our apologetic. A, a deep desire of mine over the coming years as a church is understanding the Christian apologetic being able to defend the faith. It's not an easy thing. It's sometimes kind of complicated and, and what we're trying to do in an apologetic kind of way is often like, a, like the game shifts a lot. The rules of the game is always shifting. And so I get that people are intimidated on sharing their faith and it's not something to be intimidated by because no one can argue your story. They weren't there, you were. And so whatever Jesus has done in your life, you can pray for clear words. And then when the question is asked, be ready to explain it. And you can pray for the Holy Spirit to work on people 
to open the door, which is them being inspired to ask a question of you. And then you need to be ready to explain it. Yeah, but well, my work limits what I can. Who do you work for? And here it builds into the second thing. We're as a worshiping church, praying for open doors, praying for clear words. Verse five, he says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So not only are we to be a worshiping church, we are to be a witnessing church. A worshiping church and a witnessing church. The tendency when we're encouraging steadfastness in prayer is for us to try to privatize that, for us to try to shrink back. Oh, awesome. I can go into some type of shielded cloister where I can just pray and that'll be all. No, that kind of nurtured prayer life is to pour out in witness. We're to be witnessing as a church. If Jesus truly is supreme over everything, then why are we not sharing that? The most loving thing we can do is call people to worship Jesus. And so how are we to be a witnessing church? He gives us two things here. The first one, be wise toward the world. Now, being wise is a kind of a, it's like a hyperlink to a whole big portion of your Bible. Wisdom. Think of just wisdom in the context of discernment. Wisdom is not the same thing as law or rules. It's just discernment, good principles that at discernment, you know how to do the right thing at the right time with the right words. And so he says, be wise. Acknowledge that you have a witness in this world, so don't be an idiot. Don't be foolish. Don't try to bludgeon people with your politics. Don't try to bludgeon people with your faith. But be wise. Wisdom is very entreating. This is a big, my learning how to be a witness because I'm, 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 I'm more of a talker and an explainer. And learning how to be a witness with people who aren't asking questions was a bit of a challenge for me. And so I began to pray for wisdom. To like praying, Lord, rewire my brain towards your wisdom. And learning how to have the right words at the right time. A, a, a word in due season does more than your full explanations. So be wise. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. That word there, making the best use of your time, uh, it's this idea where he's saying, everything is on sale, buy it all up. Now, I, again, I'm not talking about, you know, consumer Christianity, but, but what, what he's saying, making the best use of your time or buying it all up. Um, the, again, N.T. writes New Testament translation, the kingdom New Testament. He translates it that way. Behave wise towards, wisely towards outsiders and buy up every opportunity, which means there are opportunities all around you and they're all on sale. Buy them all up. Every opportunity you have, buy it up. Get in on the deal. Be looking for all these opportunities. I don't know who in your family has an eye for sales. I grew up with a mom who was a magician at finding the biggest sale on whatever it is. Nothing is to be purchased at full price. 
And it's that kind of mindset you're to have about opportunities to be wise. Opportunities to have clear words and look for open doors. It's all on sale, buy it all up. But then he adds to that. Don't just be wise, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the first thing, be wise towards outsiders, but the second thing, be gracious with your words. Again, back in Peter, 1 Peter chapter three. Again, he says, if someone asks, be ready, be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within you. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, which they will, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. So listen, worship fuels your witness. Worship fuels your witness to the world and our witness to the world is how we embody our worship. If we say we live with reverential devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ, then witnessing that wisely to the world is how we embody that. And if you're not living out that wise stewardship of your life, that wise embodiment of your witness, then I would challenge you, maybe your worship is off. Maybe your priorities have shifted too much. Maybe you've got your eyes off of the supremacy of Jesus and his sufficiency and your eyes on your problems or your schedule or the challenges of your life or an election cycle. An election year should not be swaying our worship. Because our devotion is not to a singular political party or a singular politician. Our devotion is wholly and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything we think or believe or desire in our politics flows from our worship of Jesus. And so the way we embody our worship is to be a wise witness in the world. And if you want to be a wise witness in the world, if that really is your desire, then it originates in your prayer and worship. And you just start here. Pray for open doors, pray for clear words, and then let your speech be gracious, not rude. Being a witness doesn't mean you're rude. However, you need gracious words because if you're confronting idols in people's lives, and calling people to repentance, it's going to be taken as offensive. It's not a nice thing to call people to account that they're worshiping their almighty dollar or committing idolatry to their politics. That's confrontational. And so he says, listen, don't stop being confrontational. Don't stop being a witness, but be wise and be gracious. Use the right words. And again, back in verse six, he says that, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. A lot of times we spend more time focusing on a canned answer instead of paying attention to each person. You don't have to have canned answers. You just need to be wise and attentive to each person. And we do that 
by worship, by prayer, being steadfast in our prayer. We do that by being completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and our eyes open, being watchful to every opportunity that's on sale and we're gonna buy it all up. Because all of this stuff, it's all passing away. All that's in front of us, it's temporal. But what is eternal is what we cannot see with our natural eyes. And our invitation as a church to the Lord Jesus is that we be a worshiping church, our worship being completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then letting that worship flow out in our witness to the world. So we're to be a worshiping and a witnessing church. And it's never been more important than a day right now when things are so divisive, things are so partisan, there's so much lack of love in our world. People are more interested in being woke than being watchful. And the church does not need to play that game. We need to take serious the issues of our day, but do it surrendered to Jesus. Let me read this and then we're going to close. These same verses in the Message Bible, a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. And I just want your hearts to be open to hear them again as an encouragement and a challenge for you and I. Pray diligently. Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, and not cut them off. The moment for the church to be the church is now. And Jesus calls us to complete surrender and to not get caught into apathy or complacency, not get caught in fear and anxiety, but to live surrendered to the supreme and all-sufficient one, nurturing a healthy prayer and a worshiping life.